Brewer fans, welcome to the Brewers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast of not only them diehard baseball fans, but also for those fans who enjoy cheering for a team that revolves around beer. My name is Tyler, aka T Plush, your host for the show. I'm a contributor for reviewing the brew for Fansighted and one of the founders of the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast. We tweet a lot about the Bucks, Brewers, and Packers and can be found on Twitter at Trilogy underscore pod. As always, I'm joined with good buddy Trevor, a.k.a. Sunshine Bender. You can find him on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. He is the host of our Packers Trilogy podcast. But as you know, we are here to recap opening weekend for the Brewers today. Before we get there, how's your recovery Sunday going today, buddy? <laughs> it's it's going well. I For the first time in I don't know how many podcasts, whether it be the Bucks or the Brewers, I am not drinking a beer right now. Maybe it was that time we recorded at 8 a.m. and we were both having coffee instead of beer <laughs> was the last time. Um, but it's a straight water podcast for me today. <laughs> Overall, I think Recovery Sunday is going pretty well. I don't really think I needed it, but apparently my body says I did because I took another nap today. So it's, it's been a pretty good weekend. It definitely was a fun weekend and... I'm sore, and I'm not really sure why. (laughs) Uh, I I have a good understanding of why you're probably sore. It's probably from diving around all weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I got water today, too. I bought three Gatorades or Powerades or whatever, because it was three for four at Quick Trip, and I drank them all this afternoon. So (laughs) (laughs) definitely hydrating today. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) Yeah, but it it was a good weekend for us. The Brewers, not so much, I guess you could say. They only take one out of three versus the Cubs. And you you would have wanted more, but at least we weren't swept, I guess. I mean, opening day really couldn't have gotten much worse. I mean, getting shut out by Kyle Hendricks was really devastating and a downer. Uh, Hendricks threw the first opening day shutout since 2013. This is in the entire MLB um, with no no walks. So Kershaw was the last person to do that, and Orlando Arcia had the Brewers' only three hits on opening day. So a little bummer there. Things got a lot better in Game 2. The Brewers won 8-3, to three, and in that game, everyone had a hit except Orlando Arcia. So the opposite of opening day. Corbin Burns uh, was our starting pitcher. He had a bloody nose. The Brewers and Cubs were chirping at each other. Uh, Lorenzo Cain got out of a magical rundown. Like <laughs> it, it was a really strange game. You should definitely watch some of those highlights if you haven't already. And then Game 3, Brewers lose 9-1. to 
it was somewhat close up until like the fourth, fifth inning, um, right after Freddie Peralta started losing control and his command in the fourth. And then the Cubs kind of opened it up, and then they really opened it up against the latter half of the bullpen in the eighth and ninth innings. So rough ending for the Brewers. But what were your overall thoughts on the series, Trevor? This series was, uh, you know, obviously as a Brewer fan, we want it to to be better. We want to take at least two, especially with the 60-game season. You want it to go off a little bit better and, you know, take at least two of them, like I said. But I think you got to give your hats off to the pitching for the Cubs because Kendricks on Friday night was just electric, even though he only throws 90 miles an hour. And I don't even know if he throws that. He throws like 87 to 89. But his location is just very, very impressive and very consistently good. He did not give the Brewers lots of opportunities. And you heard it from Tyler. You know, Orlando Arcia was the only one to get hit. So that was a rough outing. And then you go up against Tyler Chatwood, who looked pretty good for a while in this game as well. So I do think they they just ran into some good pitching, um, did get a win when the pitching wasn't quite so good. And I think the Brewers needed to get into the bullpen against Kyle Hendricks, and they stood a chance in that first one, but he was just too good. And maybe if they take him out with two outs in the ninth, they would have done something, but... (laughs) Um, <laughs> Why did if, David Ross come out? Like, what was he thinking? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, like Hendricks is going to be like, yeah, take me out, coach. No, of course he's going to want to stay in. But if it was uh, Joe Madden, he definitely would have taken him out and lost him the game. <laughs> yeah, damn it. We're already seeing the effects of Madden not being in the NL Central anymore. But for your managerial debut, your starting pitcher throws a complete game shutout. Like, <laughs> what more could you ask for if you're David Ross? But it was interesting, I guess, for the Brewers. We finally got to actually see some things. Like, the biggest thing to really talk about is Eric Sogard. He bat- batted leadoff for the first three games of this year. So it's not Lorenzo Cain. He was down in the seventh spot. I don't know. How, how are you feeling about having nerd power up there? I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Like, I get kind of the idea behind it, but I just think Lorenzo Cain is such a better player, and I trust him more in that role. I trust him more to get on base, even though he had an off year last year. I trust him a hell of a lot more than I trust Eric Sogard in that spot. So I would just like, I'd like to see Loke Cain. If they did everything the same except had Sogard in the seventh spot, I would feel a lot more comfortable um, lineup on the offensive side of the ball. That's fair. I think it's going to be interesting to see how long Sogard stays up there. I don't know if he's ever hit leadoff before in his career. That's, I guess, something I should have looked up. But, I mean, he's he's a good guy who can get on base and, like, take pitches. He's not, like, an aggressive swinger by any means. And you take a look at his stats last year, just strictly on base percentage throughout all of last year, got on base on base percentage of 353 so that, that that's pretty good i'll i'll take that of course last year was also a career year for him in like all his offensive categories so not quite sure what you're gonna get there and i guess it's just kind of like you know we were talking about it like lorenzo kane's gonna have to earn that leadoff spot back which is weird to think about because he he lost it last year because he was banged up and had that thumb injury and wasn't getting on base like he did his first year with the Brewers. But, like, I felt like for how much Craig Council supports his veteran players, like, 
he would have just automatically given Kane another shot, but apparently not. Other interesting like lineup notes is we had three different DHs over the weekend. So Braun was the DH on opening day. Christian Yelich was the DH for game two. And then Logan Morrison was the DH in Sunday's finale. So it's not surprising that he did three different players at the DH spot because like in game two is a no-brainer because then Ben Gamble's able to get in the lineup for as hot as he's been in summer camp. I think the more interesting part to watch as the season goes on is one if when Ryan Braun comes back is he going to be strictly more DH or is this DH going to be like never the same person for two two games in a row I don't know what your thoughts are on that. So the MLB has taken away some of Craig Council's like ways he likes to manage, you know, instantly the three batter minimum comes up. I think this DH is giving Craig Council a way to continually manipulate his lineup. I think we're going to see a lot of changes in DH throughout the season, just like we saw it in this series where there's three different. Now, I don't think there's going to be every single day there's going to be a change. But I do think there is going to be quite a difference because you can put a lot of different guys in that lineup to get them, keep them in the, keep them in the game, keep them hitting like Christian Yelich, for instance, on the second game, but get other guys in there that might be swinging a hot bat or you just want to have them get four at bats. And so I just feel like it gives council the ability to get guys to have days off, but still have them in the lineup. And then it gives other guys chances to play a whole game and kind of get in the swing of things a little bit more. So I do think he's going to use that to keep guys fresh, I think, if that makes sense. And I do think it's going to be something that is just kind of a revolving door. Council is going to kind of pick and choose who he wants in there, whether it be different pitching matchups or whatever the case may be. I do think it's going to be something that he does and tries to manipulate to get the best possible lineup going against that particular pitcher on that whatever day it happens to be yeah that makes sense and like especially for like catching purposes like you can always get Nervaez in there now you know as we know he's gonna play a lot against righties we don't know how it's gonna shake out against lefties yet if he's gonna get those starts or if he'll be Pena but again if he's caught you know four or five days in a row his his rest day is DHing essentially. It's kind of what they tried to do last year by putting Grandall at first base. <laughs> um, just this is a little bit more convenient anyway to have the DH. Other things I think that really kind of like stuck out to me throughout the opening weekend was just strikeouts. Like I know strikeouts go up or have been going up in years previous for all teams, but the Brewers are a heavy strikeout team. Last year, they were they struck out the fifth most in the entire MLB, and this weekend, they had 29 strikeouts. So they're already near the top of the league. 17 of those strikeouts were from our two, three, and four hitters. So you're thinking Yelich, Hira, and Smoke. So that's a lot of strikeouts from your big guys who are supposed to be doing damage. That was the scariest part for me with the strikeouts is Yelich had five, Hira had five. They each had um, days with two and three strikeouts for both of those players. And that's what's worried me was that those two are so off. I know they're they're going to get better. After game three, you know, their averages right now are for Yelich, it's .077. For Hira, it's .083. That's not going to continue. I can guarantee you that. But that is something that 
I'd like to see that increase a little bit and mainly having them not strike out, get the ball in play, and then we'll see that average go up to where we expect from those two players. Um, and Smoke, I think, is someone that we're going to want to monitor moving forward with strikeouts because he's not one that we're ultra familiar with. And what what does this mean? Is he going to – is it just, you know, opening weekend he just had a rough series like Christian Yelich, Keston Hira, and a lot of other Brewer players outside of that second game of the series. Is that just it, or is this something that he's going to kind of trend towards striking out a lot and not really getting the ball in play all too often? So it's just something to monitor for me at this point. Yeah, it absolutely is. Justin Smoke is by no means a great contact hitter. He's in the four spot for his power (laughs) by far. So strikeouts, it'll it'll be interesting. And especially, like, if we ever go into extra innings, like with that runner on second base, you want to make contact, especially for the first at-bat of the game. You want to hit it to the right side of the field so you can at least move that runner over to third. And, and, you know, then a sack fly will score that run in extra innings. So contact is crucial, and the Brewers are most likely not going to be good at it again this year, for they weren't last year as well. But let's transition into our series MVP. And series dud. Which one do you want to start with? Who do you got? I'll start with an MVP. We'll start with being positive. I I think I'm going to take Eric Lauer. I, he really impressed me in today's game. You know, he only pitched two and two-thirds. That was out of the bullpen after the whole Freddy Fastball and, and Knable experiments in the fourth inning. But... He came in, finished that ending off very strong. In those two and two-thirds, he had six strikeouts. He did have a walk, but he was just solid, and he really came on for me. Like He might stay in that middle of relief for a little bit, but I think he's going to move up to the rotation at some point. Um, and with the 60-game season, I think it's probably going to be sooner rather than later. If someone's not pitching well in the starting rotation, they are going to ship them out to the bullpen and put in Lauer because he proved today that that he can do it up against what was a very, very hot Cubs team. I mean, you look at what they did in, against the rest of the guys in today's game. I mean, they scored nine runs, lots and lots of hits, and they had 11 hits in this game. And I mean, Lauer only gave up one and one walk with six strikeouts. So that's really exciting to see for me. And I think that's who I have to go with for MVP. Who is your MVP, Tyler? I thought about picking Lauer. He was in my honorable mention group. So we're on the same page there. My MVP, it was so hard to choose this series. Like, I don't think there's like a huge standout. You could go with a couple different guys, but I'm going to go with the uh, Brewers' current batting average leader in Orlando Garcia. <laughs> he, was batting... on, he was on my honorable mention. So. <laughs> he, I mean, he is batting 400. Everybody says there's going to be a 400 hitter this year, so why not at BRC at the bottom of the order? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if Garcia continues to hit 400, he better not be the bottom of the order. <laughs> But <laughs> no, he, he wouldn't be. But I, I mean, he did have three hits in the first game and then one today in Sunday's finale. But that one, his hit on Sunday was an RBI. It was a bloop single into right field. It looked like he actually got jammed a little bit, but it came with two outs. So like 
for Arcia, you know, we know he needs to hit a lot better, and the competition with Urias is supposed to hopefully elevate his game because he normally steps up and responds well to when there's some competition. But Urias isn't there right now. We don't know when he's going to be there. So for Arcia to come out and have a good opening series, pick up a clutch ribby, and just you know, you, you think about, like, in traditional batting orders, your nine spots, normally your pitcher, like, <laughs> with the DH now and there's no pitchers hitting, you don't want your nine spot to just still be that dud. So Arcia can put together some offense. I mean, that, that helps him improve his stock a little bit. Arcia, if, if we get him around 250, I think he was around 225 for a batting average last year. If we can get him around 250 or even 275, if he's somewhere in that range... That's a big win at the bottom of the order. And then you go up to Lorenzo Cain, not Eric Sogard, in the first spot. I think that he could almost be like a second leadoff. He's got to show consistency. But starting out 4 for 10 in the opening series, it gets you a little bit excited. We'll see if he's able to maintain it. I am cautiously optimistic with him. Now, series dud. This, I feel like this was a little bit harder because there was quite a few performances I wasn't really loving. <laughs> but for me, I, I'm I'm just going to do it. I'll, I'll say Christian Yelich. He he was very disappointing. I know he had the one home run in on the second day, but one of 13, that's not great. And when I talk shit about Giannis on the Bucks podcast, he always does good the next time. So I'm just expecting that to happen. <laughs> I like your thinking, <laughs> so <laughs> I'll follow the same suit, because my series dud was Kesson Hira, so batting right behind Yelich, which I think is important, right, because last year we saw Yelich shift to the three spot, now Yelich is back up in the two to start this year, which puts a lot of pressure on Keston to perform, like, guys... If Keston Hira is hitting really good, you can't just pitch around Yelich. <laughs> but if you're Keston Hira and go one for 12 in a series with five strikeouts and just have no production, then mm-hmm, that, you're not really protecting Yelich at all. So I think that's kind of why he was my series dud for, for this one. Yeah, and, and we were talking honorable mentions. I did want to mention Ben Gamble, I think, deserves honorable mention for series MVP. Maybe you can throw Lorenzo Cain in there, too. I mean, he had a 300 average in the series. Like, he did fairly well, too. So hopefully that can start upping his stats. And then the honorable mention for me, you mentioned Keston for the dud. Um, I'm going to go Eric Sogard as an honorable mention as well. I think he really struggled. The top three in the order really, really struggled. So hopefully we can see some improvement there um, with those guys. Yeah, three hits all series out of your top three guys is not getting it done. Sure, they, some of them got on via the walk, but yikes. Other things, like, not necessarily honorable mentions here, but, like, our starters. Like, we had Woodruff, Burns, Peralta here, <laughs> and we tried rolling with that last year, and we're trying it again this year. I thought Woody, in his start, he was he was good. I mean, he went five innings, struck out five, has made one bad mistake pitch, which was that two-run homer to Ian Happ that ended up being the deciding runs, essentially, in the game. But he, he looked sharp. His velocity was up there. He was getting closer to 99. You could see after a while when he was starting to get pissed. I think he didn't get a couple calls that should have went his way that would have helped him be a little bit more efficient. But I expect him to fully improve upon those measures. And then 
kind of the same with Burns. He wasn't very efficient, and his fastball command was wasn't as sharp as what it had been. But his breaking ball was <laughs> it still kept him in, and kept those hitters off balance. Six strikeouts, I'll take that. And then Freddie Peralta, I thought he was looking really good today he, in his first three innings, and then the fourth inning hit, and he just he was I think he threw nine. His first nine pitches were all fastballs, and like eight of them were for balls. So just he just lost it for whatever reason. And the weird part was he was throwing a lot of off-speed stuff those first couple innings, and he was throwing them for strikes. Like that slurve was coming out there, or slider slurve, whatever you want to call it. He was throwing that. Uh, his curveball looked really good. And then just, you know, it, he just lost it for whatever reason. I don't know. But we'll... We'll see if he ends up making another start five days from now or, or what Craig Council wants to do with him there. I definitely think they're interesting. What Woody did isn't going to change anything. You know, he was fairly solid, like you said, just kind of that one mistake. And if that didn't happen, maybe they allow him to go six or even at five innings and, and no runs with five strikeouts, you'd be more than happy with that. Burns... You know, you mentioned he wasn't efficient, you know, 75 pitches in three and a third. It's a little rough, but I do think he he pitched fairly well, at least. Like, he's not giving up a ton of runs, or he didn't in this outing. Stick, six strikeouts, you'd like to see that him decrease the amount of walks. He had three of them. So you decrease that. I think he pitched pretty well. And I know it's only one outing, but I do just want to say he looked pretty good, you know, that ERA would be a 2.7. Um, his ERA for 2018 was 2.61, so in the same range. And if you look at field independent pitching, he actually, like, it really proves, like, the pitcher's actual effectiveness and doesn't really, it takes out luck and everything. And his field independent pitching was 2.85, so it's right around what it actually was. So, what his ERA is actually is pretty close to what he was actually pitching like. So if he just keeps that up, I think if he keeps the walks down and continues to increase effectiveness, I think he will be in the rotation because I do think he's very, very good, and I'm excited to continue to watch him grow. Freddie, it has been first innings. Is it just he has to get past the one inning, whether it's the first, whether it's the fourth inning, I think if he gets past that, I think he could be a very solid guy, but it's just getting past that once things start going wrong, it just seems like everything goes wrong for him. Yeah, that's yeah, that sums up Freddie pretty well. And I think the interesting part, like so we mentioned how non efficient these pitchers were to for you know, for their first starts of the year, and then you look at who Craig Council elected to piggyback them with, like, okay, Burns left the game and then he brought in Brett Suter. So you went from a 96-mile-per-hour fastball to 88, and you swapped hands. You went from a righty to a lefty. And then you take Sunday's finale, and you add Freddie Peralta in. Once he was done, well, he gave Corey Knable a shot for a little bit to try and work out of his mess. It ended up not working, but then he went to Eric Lauer. So, again, went from a righty to a lefty. little less extreme change in velocity on that tandem right there, but the Brewers have the ability to mix up these tandems really creatively, especially once Brett Anderson comes back from the IL. Then you have another lefty who you could potentially piggyback with another right-handed starter, um, depending on how things go. So 
I guess, you know, card council isn't electing to like say, Hey, these are going to be our five guys for a while. It's just going to be whoever. I mean, I think we know who's going to pitch a majority of the innings at the, at least in the beginning. And it's all these guys who are stretched out and we got a good mix of righties and lefties. So it should be pretty fun to see how, how we decide to deploy them. Other things looking forward to here is we now have to shift our mindset to the Pirates. Another division rival. We will have three games with them starting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Those are all 6.05 start times because they are on the East Coast. So make sure you're paying attention to that. In game one, we'll have Adrian Hauser versus Stephen Brault. Game two, we'll have Josh Lindboom versus Derek Holland. And then game three, we'll have Brandon Woodruff versus Joe Musgrove. So the Pirates are sending out two left-handed pitchers for the first two games of the series. So I think lineup-wise, we'll learn a lot more how Craig Council wants to, how he wants to look against lefties. And I guess the one thing that I'm really looking forward to that series is I just want to see how much he plays Omar Narvaez. Is he going to get the first shot or is it going to be Manny Pena? So we've talked about it. I I'm still in favor of just just let Narvaez rake. I don't care. Throw them against the lefties. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I I think we're both on the same train there where we want to just see Nervaez kind of work through the defense. And Council has said that he's improved in that regard and, and just let him hit. I've mentioned before that Manny Pena catches one guy, but who is going to be that guy that you kind of throw him out at? Do you think just throw him out there with Lindblom and, and let him catch Lindblom every time Lindblom's in the rotation? Is he the guy that is going to stay in the rotation the whole time outside of Brandon Woodruff because I feel like there could be a lot of movement around between starting rotation and and kind of that early mid-relief role bouncing around there. We talked about Eric Lauer maybe getting in to the rotation. Like There's guys that could come up and be starters that are in the bullpen currently. So that'll be something to watch. Um, For this Pirates series, you know, I'm pretty... Excited and hopeful that the Brewers are able to play pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, Tyler and I are going to miss a good chunk of that first game. We're going to be playing in our volleyball league, but hopefully, we get done with our game and it's five to nothing, and the Brewers win it pretty handily. But I will be interested to watch how Hauser and Lindblom pitch, and that's what I am kind of most interested in in this series, just because we haven't seen them pitch in a legit game yet and i just want to see how they start the year i also think monitoring our top three guys that leadoff role which like i've said many times on this podcast already i hope lorenzo kane comes into that spot rather than eric sogard but just watching that uh leadoff role yelich Hira, and even smoke and see if they improve from that cubs series if it was just they had some really tough pitching to go up against, and that's all it was, and they kind of get back to those nor- their normal selves and don't strike out quite so much. The, that's the other thing that I'm really looking at for this one. And also, when and how is Josh Hader going to look when he comes in? <laughs> yeah, we didn't even get to use Hader this weekend. I, I almost forgot about that. It's a good point, though, about the leadoff spot, especially as you look towards the Pirates, because Lorenzo Cain is a very good hitter against left-handed pitching. So I, I would feel like maybe Council would bring him back up to bat leadoff, and then I guess Game 3 would be interesting. Is he going to go back to Sogard or stick with Kane? Um, You know, six games in, it's 
you, you don't know, you probably aren't swaying from what you originally wanted to do quite yet, given guys' chances to still go out there and 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 show what they got. But, I mean, yeah, from the Pirates' side of things, they're obviously not a very exciting team. Josh Bell's their best player. <laughs> and, I mean, they got a couple guys who had some good weekends against the Cardinals. Colin Moran collected three hits in a, in a ribby. He had a home run. Jose Azuna had three hits and four RBIs, one home run. So those are kind of their hot hitters, I guess, to to look for right now and then we get to see their opening day starter match up against our opening day starter so that'll be Musgrove versus Woody. Musgrove's first start he went five and two-thirds gave up three earned runs gave up two solo shots and struck out seven and that was against the Cardinals so Joe Musgrove is a pretty decent pitcher has some low to mid 90s fastballs likes to throw a lot of sliders change-ups and then he also has a cut fastball as well so he'll he'll keep hitters off balance that way and it should be a good matchup um come the finale on wednesday night do you have anything else at all trevor before we get out of here for the day i do not believe so other than just it is great to have sports back i have missed the brewers i have missed watching baseball we got the Bucks coming up on Friday. That's exciting. The Packers are going to be back in training camp this week. Sports are back, baby, and I'm just really happy for that. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Let's not do that layoff again. It sucked. So speaking of off days, though, the Brewers are off on Thursday before they gear up for a, a weekend series starting on Friday, obviously, then. So we will be resuming our in-season format with podcasts, so we will have one coming out on Thursday morning to recap the Pirates. So we'll be doing podcasts as the season goes along as series ends. So we're always staying up to date in that regard. But until next time, we will talk to you later, Brewer fans. Trust in Burns.